Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Let's go to Africa. We've been talking about it periodically, various things, a lot of geopolitics cross paths down in Africa. It's been that way for hundreds of years. It will be like that for the next hundred years. But right now in the here and now, there's some really important stuff going on with some very familiar world players that we do see in the news media. Let's go to another one of our great Young Voices contributors. He is an intern at the Initiative for African Trade and prosperity. He's studying a master's at the London School of Economics. And if you're from Logan and don't know what that is, they don't just let you walk in there. That's a prestigious thing. That's kind of an important school. Uh, Alexander and how are you, sir? I'm doing good, Andrew. Thank you for the nice introduction. Happy to be here. Happy to talk about Africa. Thrilled to be with you. Let's start big picture. And we deal with truth. We talk all the time. One of our core values on this program is things don't happen in a vacuum. They happen in a sequence. Africa has always been somewhat chaotic. Uh, the Horn of Africa and Somalia, that has been conflict for all of yours and mine lifetimes. We know about Somalia, Black Hawk Down, all that stuff. We know the problems in Central Africa. Libya in the north is a failed state. We know about the issues in South Africa, even though that's more of a developed area. They still have problems. Africa has always been a problem. Africa has always had something of a power vacuum. And there's been colonial and imperialistic interest in Africa for as long as there's been recorded human history. These problems aren't new. Just the players are new and they're familiar players to us, people like China, like Russia. Give us the big picture of what's going on in Africa right now today. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question. I think your your premise is absolutely true where Africa was, you know, a very big deal back in the Cold War time, um, you know, different kind of spheres of influence, Soviet influence, uh, American influence. And then fast forward to today and, you know, after about maybe two decades or so of things kind of calming down there in terms of, you know, who the major players are with the U.S. kind of taking that role. 
Um, now we see a huge resurgence of, you know, what I really see as authoritarianism from the Chinese and the Russians um, and then the, the United States. So if I had to characterize the situation right now, I think you have an interesting play where you have two authoritarian regimes in Russia and China that are slowly and steadily kind of creeping and, and um, furthering their interests into that region of the world. And you have the U.S. and the West kind of backtracking and trying to respond to that. Um, so we can get into a little bit about kind of the ins and outs of how that's going on, um, kind of the economic, political, uh, foreign policy interests that each side has. Um, but it is a big deal because Africa is growing, um, not just population-wise, but also economically. Um, they're going to play an increasingly important role uh, as the future goes on. And so I think if the U.S. doesn't respond to, to these threats, um, we'll be in for uh, some some long-term trouble if we don't make a pivot right now, in my opinion, um, in our strategy down there. So, yeah. What is the biggest thing we need to pay attention to in Western media, though? Because there's a lot of stuff we're going to move. We're going to work through an article that you wrote here in just a second. There's so many moving parts to this. China, Russia. Um, there was just a big CNN report about Russia and doing the gold mining and how they're stripping resources that way. China's after the rare earth minerals because they have a, a lock on the battery and those sorts of things for you know high-end components. There's so much going on. And then there's all the internecine strife inside of Africa that's always been there. Our Western media has never been great at covering Africa. What's some of the core things we need to know before we dig into the details here that a Western audience, an American audience that's not familiar with Africa, that we kind of need to have some ground rules in dealing with something that's so big as this? Absolutely. I think it's really the military considerations. Um, so I'll speak on that briefly, really quickly. Um, over the past five years, China has been extending its military influence into the region, um, which is something they had not been capable of doing before. Um, so back in 2017, they opened their first military base in East Africa um, in a small country called Djibouti. Um, kind of a funny name, but, you know, it's geostrategically positioned in East Africa, um, an important region of the world. And it does beg the question, why would China be attempting to spread its influence into that region? Um, and then recently, there have been fears uh, that have come out from the Department of Defense talking about the potential of China opening another base um, over in West Africa in Equatorial Guinea. Um, that would be their first base uh, in the Atlantic. Um, and so as far as what a Western audience needs to be concerned with, um, this idea that China is slowly moving bases closer um, to, to our region of the world and into regions that they previously had not really been privy to um, is certainly worrying. Now, on the flip side of that, Russia has also been getting increasingly um, interested in African politics and African regimes. Um, they have been doing a very odd sort of strategy where they don't have a lot of economic ties with Russia, but what they've been doing is sending in mercenary forces to often kind of quell rebellions or uh, the threat of Islamic terrorism or things of that nature. And then once their mercenary groups are there, um, the Russians don't tend to leave. And now they kind of have a, a stranglehold um, in certain areas, try to reach into places like the Suez Canal um, and kind of spread their influence that way. So in terms of what's direct, relatable and, and applicable to a Western audience, um, I would certainly say kind of the military jockeying of Russia and China is is definitely something that we need to be very aware of. Um, and if we're not, we can kind of find ourselves behind the eight ball, um, which I know we definitely do not want to do. What is it about China? Because here's the problem with China. The CCP and their many, many minions in social media and in the traditional news media, they they get really upset if you call them imperialistic or colonial. Mm -hmm. There's no other way to describe what they're doing in Africa as imperialistic and colonial. Now, they're not doing it so much militarily, although that's starting to happen as well. They're doing it financially. 
They're doing yeah. it through offering uh, loans. They're doing it through what I would call, and many others have, predatory debt. And then they foreclose. We've seen this in Sri Lanka and other places. And now we're seeing it in Africa where they use predatory debt to get infrastructure interests and take over important infrastructure, airports, ports, things like this. How do we address that? Because the propaganda arm of China is mighty and it's long reaching. But the facts on the ground say, hey, actions, not words. This is what they're doing and they're doing it purposefully and they have a long plan involved here. You're absolutely right, Andrew. And I think that um, it would be one thing, you know, if, if China was actually interested in helping, uh, you know, build infrastructure. Um, it, you know, we just want to develop Africa out of the kindness of our hearts. Um, unfortunately, that's certainly kind of not what they are trying to do. Um, you're absolutely right that they do use uh, loans and financing as ways to get countries kind of hooked on Chinese financing. And then they use that to leverage them uh, or to, to have political leverage over those countries in the future. We've seen that very recently. Um, a lot of African countries used to have uh, diplomatic relations with Taiwan. Um, every country in Africa has abandoned Taiwan except for Eswatini, tiny little country in Southern Africa. Um, and China has been putting pressure on them to break off their diplomatic relationship with Taiwan um, and kind of, you know, get rid of that relationship and recognize China as having the right to that area and things like that. So as far as what the U.S. needs to do, that's really the, the, the key to the question here. I think that the U.S., in order to respond to this, needs to prove itself to be um, integral to Africa's development going forward. And they need to make sure that African leaders see us that way. America still is by far the largest consumer market. Um, we are significantly wealthier than China. Um, we have the ability to purchase much more uh, than they do. And so what my opinion is, what we need to do is expand kind of how trade is done with Africa right now and use that as a catalyst to get African states to recognize that we can be the most important partner for them going forward in their development goals, instead of Chinese debt trap diplomacy, which has been getting less and less popular among African leaders, which is a positive sign. So if you wanna go into the AGOA a little bit, I think that could be, could be a wise idea. Now, here's the problem, and you touched in on your piece. Yeah. Money doesn't solve everything. Money also creates its own set of problems, but, it's almost like when we watch like a mob movie where the mob, they're like, hey, if we're fighting, we're not making money. Isn't the pitch, though, with trade? And this is on a very basic level of, hey, everybody can make money here. And if everybody's busy making money, just some of the human nature stuff is they're going to want to keep making money. And when people are fighting, they're not making as much money. That's a really dis distilled down simplistic view of it to take it to a movie after. But that's basically what we're pitching them with free trade is like, look, all of you can rise all boats here if you stop fighting and do X, Y, Z, and if you get the right kind of partners, that's basically the pitch, right? I think that is part of the pitch. I wouldn't say that's the entire thing. You know, I, I do think that there is appetite in Africa um, for democracy, for human rights. Um, people are very skeptical of Chinese interests, uh, the way China runs, it's kind of authoritarian grip um, on its own people. And so I wouldn't say that, you know, free trade and wealth is the only motivating factor, but I would certainly say that plays an inter a integral part. Um, so along with that, what I would say is, I believe that African countries that do engage with trade in the United States definitely do benefit. There have been a number of countries um, in the past decade or so that have significantly developed different sectors through um, trading relationships with the United States. Now, whether or not we'll be able to use that as enough leverage to say, hey, abandon Chinese financing and come to us will be um, something only really time can tell. But I would say this for sure. 
the deepening relationship of economic ties between America and Africa um, is absolutely integral if we want to keep our influence over there. Um, there's a, kind of an isolationist mood right now in the United States. Um, I hope that we can kind of work against that as time goes on, um, because like it or not, the world is much smaller than it used to be. And we need strategic partners around the world. And a great way to do that is through economic ties and getting African producers and African consumers to recognize the benefits of having access to the U.S. market. So. Yeah, Alexander Joan joining us and a great Young Voices contributor. We're talking Africa. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to dig into this piece he has at 1828 a little bit. We're going to talk about the American policy, what it should be, what we want it to be, what it actually is, why those three things can't ever seem to match up at the same time in the same place. More with our friend Alexander on Hertel right after the break. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome back to Hertel. We got our friend Alexander back on. We're talking Africa. Um, we talk real here. We deal with the real world on this program. Let's just be honest about American policy. Part of the problem with foreign policy and financial policy, for that matter, is there's a certain amount of inconsistency built into our system. We have presidential elections every four years. Congress turns over every two years. We, The American people tend to like gridlock. They like split government for the most part. Some of this is built into the cake, but when we're dealing with foreign policy, the two most important things when we're dealing with foreign powers is consistency and cohesiveness. People got to know what we're going to do and know that we're going to do it. America has been really, really bad at that for the last 30, 40 years, basically my entire lifetime for the most part since the end of the Cold War. What do we do to change that? Because it's hard to pitch things like we will be your trade partner. China's got a 50-year plan. They don't have the Russian five-year plan. They plan way in ahead. So people are looking like, yeah, I'm making a deal with the devil, but at least I know what I'm getting. That's part of the problem here, yes? Yeah. No, I, I do agree with that, Andrew. I would say, too, I think what has been a good development in the U.S., is there does seem to be kind of a consolidation from both sides, Republicans and Democrats, that increasing Chinese influence in the world is problematic. Um, I have a lot of disagreements with the Biden administration, but one thing I have enjoyed that they do is they will speak out against China and they sent Pelosi over to Taiwan recently. And so um, they seem to be, in my opinion, willing to fight back against that. So in terms of what we need to do as a national strategy, I absolutely agree. We have had a very disjointed 
a um, couple decades of policy towards Africa. And for a lot of it, it seems like we kind of took them for granted. They were not necessarily the most important partner of us. Um, and we did not really give them, I think, the uh, respect and, and um, kind of uh, attention that they needed. So going forward, what I think certainly needs to happen is you're absolutely right. A cohesive, coherent strategy about what we want to see from Africa and what they need to see from us. Um, and I think the best way to do that is to, A, increase our diplomatic relations and actually begin to speak on the world stage, putting African issues at the very top um, of our foreign policy considerations, and B, through economic ties. Um, those two combined, if we could really nail those down and prove to African states and African leaders that we mean business, uh, I think that would go a long way in pushing back China's influence um, in, in pretty much the near future, if possible. You use a term in the piece, utilization strategies. Um, you're, you're bouncing that off of what uh, Xi Jinping and the Chinese are doing with the Belt and Road Initiative. They've got billions of dollars they're pouring into that thing. We probably can't do anything like that for a lot of reasons. But break that terminology down for us. Just go through the nomenclature, utilization strategies. What are you talking about? Because, again, this is not theory. This is stuff where you're actually going to have to kind of do some practical stuff to win people yeah. over, right? Yes. And now, so in terms of utilization strategies, what that's connected to is the AGOA. So right now, I'll do a quick history on the African Growth and Opportunity Act. This was a uh, bill passed in 2000, basically gives African producers a lot of access to the American market. So goods made in Africa are often duty-free, tax-free, can be shipped here easier, um, and get preferential access to American consumers. It should make it cheaper, easier for them to develop, things of that nature. Now, utilization strategies are key in this because currently under the AGOA, they are not required. What a utilization strategy is, is it requires a country um, that has the benefits of trade under the AGOA, and it makes them make a cohesive strategy for how they can use their comparative advantage to take advantage of the access given to them by the U.S. market. So basically, a quick example of that, um, let's say Tanzania comes up with an AGOA uh, utilization strategy about, okay, well, we produce grain. We are able to export that to the U.S. cheaper under the AGOA than other countries around the world because it's specifically a preferential deal for Africa. We're going to make a strategy of how to go about taking advantage of the access we have to the U.S. market. Um, it has worked very well. There's about 18 countries that have made utilization strategies and it's deepened trade ties with America. But when the AGOA gets expanded in 2025, it's kind of up for re-election. Um, um, the AGOA in 2025 is going to be renewed or expanded. Um, and so I believe that we need to make that a requirement where every country needs to have a utilization strategy in order to have a cohesive plan for how to access the U.S. market. And that has been shown to increase trade ties, which I think would go a long way um, in, in deepening economic relationships. So that's what that term means. Um, I'm pushing for that to occur in 2025. Um, I think it would certainly be a wise idea, and I don't really believe there's a good reason not to. How's that gonna look? How does that look though? Is that gonna be a treaty thing? Is that gonna be a UN thing? Is that gonna be an, a bilateral with individual countries? Give me a framework for that. Yeah. Well. The AGOA is a piece of legislation that was passed by the U.S. Congress. So it's not a U.N. thing. Um, it, it's nothing in that uh, sphere. What it is is a, a way that the U.S. goes about dictating trading relationships with Africa specifically. So it doesn't take into account, you know, the U.N. Um, or groups like that. And it's not bilateral in terms of one U.S. state going to a specific single country in Africa. Rather, it deals with Africa as a block of countries um, going forward.
Great. Alexander Joan joining us. Uh, just to put a kind of a cap on this, let's go back to where we started. Africa is a big place. It's a diverse place. It's got a lot of moving parts. How important, because again, like we started with, China's consistent more than we are consistently bad, but they are consistent. How do we get this consistency? You talk about this being a good concrete first step. What's the second and third step? Because that's the key to the consistency we say that's been lacking in these kind of policies. Yeah, it's a messaging thing, Andrew, you know, and, and it's a U.S. diplomatic ties thing where if the United States federal government wants to portray itself as long term interested in African development, it's going to need to be a more consistent uh, messaging platform from the government. So quick backstory on that. In 2014, Barack Obama held the first U.S. Africa summit. Um, I think that was a good first step in deepening African trade ties. However, seven, eight years have passed. And now the second one will be held in 2022. In my opinion, that's far too long to allow these trade summits not to occur. Um, in my view, that should be a, maybe every two to three years, we're having consistent summits with African leaders, with business leaders, oftentimes in Africa itself, and deepening that relationship going forward. We can't be so sporadic in our choice to engage with them. Um, I think doing that will have a long-term impact, and it will actually much more mirror what the Chinese are doing, where they consistently hold meetings with African leaders, they consistently have envoys down there, they consistently have high-level business executives in Africa, where they're working on building these relationships. So I think expanding the AGOA, following that up with diplomatic ties, um, is really a good recipe to get us on the road to success here. And, you know, there will be things that happen in the future that we can't see right now. Um, but by doing both of those, I think we can do a long, uh, get ourselves on the road to, to kind of winning Africa back into our good graces. Yeah, great stuff, Alexander. Let folks know where they can follow you. We'll have you back on this topic because this isn't going away anytime soon. This is going to be something we're going to be dealing with probably generationally at least. Till we get you back on Hertel again, let folks know where they can follow you. We're going to link to your piece in 1828. Please read the entire thing. Tell us where they can find you and follow you until we get you back, my friend. Yeah, well, you guys can find me on Twitter at A-J-E-L-L-O-I-A-N. A-J-E-L-L-O-I-A-N. Also, I would encourage you to check out our uh, website at uh, viatp.org. That's Initiative for African Trade and Prosperity. We do a lot of work on Sub-Saharan Africa, different trade deals and policies that are going on down there, um, trying to spread economic freedom and free trade uh, going forward. So that's where you can find me. Yeah, and we're going to keep covering Africa because it's a big part of the world, and the other parts of the world are all converging there. Alexander Gio, and great having you, sir. We'll have you back soon. Thank you for the time. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.